This morning, I think that we are in for a treat with a teaching that we're going to get to receive. Our guest speaker today is a friend of mine. We've been friends for a number of years. His name is Kyle Baker. Uh, we were both campus pastors at a multi-site church together uh, in the Salt Lake area of Utah. Uh, Kyle is the co-lead pastor of LifePoint Church in Minden, Nevada. He is a, is a pastor. I think he's a fantastic teacher. He's an, he's an author. He was our uh, family camp speaker this week. I don't know if any of you have been uh, to family camp before. If you haven't, I hope that you will seriously consider joining us uh, next summer. It is a great experience. And so Kyle has been teaching us this week on heaven, and this morning uh, he has a message on heaven for us. Uh, he, is, uh, uh, he is a faithful brother. He is my friend. I hope that you will join me in welcoming uh, to the stage uh, Kyle Baker this morning. Hey, good morning to you. Glad to be here with you. You know, anytime you teach on a subject this big, you always have to wonder what the person is going to say, right? Heaven is one of those things that we've got to get right, and heaven is one of those subject matters that most people, especially if they're a Christian, look forward to. But there are all sorts of books on heaven. I wrote a very, very small one, and it's small because I don't know that much, but I'm going to try to teach you as much as I can today. <clears throat> but part of the challenge with researching, with talking about heaven, <clears throat> with hearing people talk about heaven, is you don't know what their viewpoint is going to be. You know, some people have claimed to go to heaven uh, because they died, at least temporarily, and then they came back and they tell people about what they saw or did not see, and many of them write books, some of them go on to write Hallmark series and to appear on TV. <clears throat> and sometimes you just don't know what someone is going to say. Are they way out there? Are they biblical? Are they not? <clears throat> because I'm a pastor and because I'm accountable to Christians and elders and maybe to your elders, um, I, I want to make sure to be accountable to you because I may say something today that offends you. I may say something that goes against what you have been taught. Uh, I may say something that you just don't like or you just may go, I, I just can't stand your shirt and I'm going to have to look at that for like 30 minutes. And so I apologize. My wife picked this out. You could be upset with her if you'd like. But I wanna make sure that you have a way to get a hold of me just in case you're upset about anything I say. So I'm gonna give you my email. It's rickhenderson at autumnridgechurch.com. And if you have any complaint, any long-winded things you would like to say, I mean, send an eight-page email. I mean, it would be great. We would love for you to do that. So my hope today it is not to offend you, um, but usually when I get to teach, I usually have two things that I would like to do. I would like to break your heart, and I would like to bother your mind. And I hope to do both of those uh, today, because heaven is so pivotal for us to understand. It's our ultimate destination, at least that's what Christians believe. And if you're not a Christian today, my hope is to inspire you to follow the hope and the king that we just sung about, for us to go okay, I, I know who that king is and I can't wait to be with him. And for the people who do not yet know Christ, they go, I could follow that guy. I wanna be with that guy. I want that guy to be the leader of my life. And what I wanna do, instead of starting with Jesus, I wanna start with a different king. His name was Alexander the Great. Uh, Alexander the Great lived a while ago and he was a complex 
dude. Alexander the Great, uh, at the height of his power, oversaw about 3,000 miles of his kingdom, conquering Greece in the west and all the way to India in the east. And in between then, he brought a Hellenistic idea. He brought all sorts of stuff uh, that we still get to see today, language, culture, uh, organization, um, communication. He did a fantastic job, um, but he was a complex guy. He was a guy who was, even though he was king over the largest territory in the world at the time, he fought at the front lines with his people. He stood there side beside them with armor and sword and shield ready, and he, his people loved him for it because he was in the trenches with them. And then oftentimes when he conquered lands, he would give uh, his, his soldiers and his general massive amounts of wealth and lands, and he often married them off, and he gave them titles, and he put them over governances of places, and his people loved him because he gave things away. But he was complex. I mean, he was a brilliant mind being mentored by Aristotle. He was a military genius in his own right. He was a fierce competitor. He was handsome. He was often drunk. He was often angry. He was ruthless in the elimination of his enemies. And he was incredibly kind to his friends. He was a complex man. But he was effective. No one can argue the fact that he was effective. But the challenge was the presence of a great man like that is what kept his kingdom together. And at the age of 32, when he died prematurely, his kingdom was fragmented so quickly. Everything that he had built, everything that he had worked for disappeared almost overnight. And his generals fought for supremacy and they divided up his land. And it was like the presence of him, the presence of the king is what held everything together. And sometimes I think we can think that Jesus is a lot like that. Is that if we could just be in his presence, it would hold all things together. But the thing is, Jesus isn't walking around down here anymore. I don't know if you noticed that. But he's not walking around down here anymore. And for us, we have to realize that God's presence is still here, maybe in a different way. But his presence is something we should look forward to and long for. But also we need to understand that he personally is not here right now. He is with the Father at the right hand of God. And we know this because in the first 10 verses of Acts, we get to see that Jesus talks with his disciples, and then he does the Superman thing, and he flies up into the air, and he's gone. And it's amazing because the disciples sit there, just stand there looking up. It's like, are you going to come down? Could use the help already. I mean, he's gone five minutes. And he says, and these two angels who are standing there or floating there, whatever angels do, I'm not sure how they do that, but why do you stand here looking into the sky? They tell these disciples. Hey, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And they're basically like, look, you have work to do. Do not just sit there gazing and waiting for him to come back. And there is a danger here because sometimes as Christians, we may take this approach as well. We may go, hey, I'm just waiting until he comes back. I'm just waiting until I get to go to heaven. I'm just waiting. I'm looking up towards the sky, hoping that he will come back today. And that's a biblical thing, to want him to come back. But with the unbiblical thing, or maybe the unwise thing, is for us only to wait. The angels told the disciples, you have work to do. He will come back. In the meantime, God has empowered you. You need to go work for him. You need to go be glad to serve your king even while he is away. And for some of us, the reason we stand and look to the sky thinking that heaven is somewhere out there is because we just don't understand it. We wanna seek and long for heaven. We wanna look forward to it, but it seems complex. It seems hard to understand. It seems like maybe we don't have enough scripture about it. Maybe someone hasn't taught us enough. 
And so we wonder what heaven is like if that's our ultimate destination. What are we to expect? You know, the Apostle Paul is so helpful uh, in this in some ways because he, he tells us that we're supposed to keep seeking. In fact, in Colossians 3, he kind of helps us understand that every part of our life should be pointed towards something or someone more specifically. The Apostle Paul helped us understand what the, the, the totality of our life entails, ultimately. He says, therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, and he's talking to Christians, but this could also be a message for non-Christians to say, if you die to yourself someday, and you live for Christ, this is what you get to look forward to, too. Keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so Paul understood. Jesus wasn't walking around. He was up with the Father, seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds, set your minds on the things that are above and not on the things that are on the earth. And Paul is basically saying, you know, it's so tempting. God made this creation good and everything in it is good, but this is not your home. This is not where your thoughts are to be. This is not where your heart is to be. Not on the things on the earth. You have to make sure that ultimately your life resides somewhere else. And you are residents here. But your permanent residence will be in heaven with God someday. For you have died. Now the question I want to ask you is what is your heart, what is your ambition, and what is your life set on? What is your heart what is your ambition and what is your life set on? If you've never defined this, this may be your first step today. What do you want the rest of your life to be defined by? Because when you know what that thing is, then you will appropriately look at your life and you'll say, does everything I have and everything I am serve that purpose? Because if it doesn't, it may not be the right thing. And maybe it's just I'm gonna be on a plane later on today or maybe I think that maybe I'll never be invited back so I should just go for it. I wanna use the strongest language I can for you today, okay, and it's this. If it is anything other than being with God in heaven, it is the wrong thing. This is, the Paul, this is what Paul is essentially saying. If your heart and your life and your ambition and your skills and everything else is set on anything other than being with heaven, with God for eternity, it's the wrong thing. And some of you were like, what about the gospel? What about ministry? Th those are me. And those are incredible means. I want to dedicate my life to helping people understand what the gospel is so they can set their hearts and their minds. Right. But someday I'm going to be unemployed. Hopefully that's not this week, but hopefully it's a long, long time later. But someday I'm going to be unemployed because when we go to heaven, my job is done. I can't go, hey, want to tell me about Jesus? He's standing like right there. Like, why don't we just go ask him? My job will be done. And some of yours will be too. But this means that our heart and our ambition and our life must be set on the right things. So if those things are no longer to be someday, we can be grateful, we can be glad, and we can understand that our life will ultimately be good. Now, I understand the challenge with seeking. I mean, because the problem with what Paul is saying is he says, set your minds on it, set your heart on it, set your ambition, and you're like, okay, what's the it? I mean, we could say it this way. You know, it's hard to desire what you can't describe. So even if we have this longing for heaven, even if we have this longing for heaven of what it is like, some of us go, I don't have the picture, I don't have the imagination, maybe I don't have the words, I'm not sure what I should be set on. And what I wanna do today is rather than tell you everything about what heaven is like, I wanna give you one piece of information that I think is helpful. 
And what I wanna do today is I wanna fuel your imagination right now for heaven, and I wanna connect your life right now with your eternal life with God. You know, God gave us a brain, and part of what our brain does is it helps us imagine. That is not just the stuff for children, it is absolutely the stuff for adults. We try to imagine a world where God is in control, where God is ultimately king, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. We try to imagine that. But we have to make sure it's biblical, too. So imagination, without the right information, can lead to the wrong expectations. And we understood this, even from Scripture. Even from the people who walked around with Jesus, they had a different viewpoint of who Jesus should be, would be, and what he would do. And their expectations were not right. Even though they had scripture, even though they could read it, even though they memorized it, they had a, a wrong expectation. Let me give you like a real world example. You know, Rick is a Saints fan, which I don't know, it says a lot about your, your process of, of, of getting people in and talking about them. But like, I thought there was a screening process for pastors here and you let a Saints fan in and I'm sorry about that. Uh, but that, that happens and there is grace for that too, Rick. Love you, man. So. You know, at the end of the year, Rick would love to have his team hosting the Lombardi Trophy. He would love that to happen. On the very last game in the Super Bowl, he would love to have his team coming up hoisting the trophy. But the problem is we have a little bit more information, that he doesn't really have a quarterback, you know, that his, his coach has kind of moved on. There are holes in the offensive line, other stuff like that. And so when you get the right information, he has to change his expectations doesn't he? That it's not just Super Bowl, but maybe playoffs if they're lucky and God is with them. Who knows? But we have to make sure to set our expectations with the right information. And so what we hopefully want to do today is we want to take the information, specifically the words and the stories and the life of Christ to impact us in terms of what we should look forward to. So today what I want to do is rather than tell you exactly who you are or what heaven exactly will be like, I want to tell you what I believe is the most pivotal part of understanding heaven, and that is understanding where the king is. Because as we just sung, the king is the most important part. You know, if you were at camp with us, one of the things I said was that heaven is far more than a place. Uh, it is the presence of God. Heaven is more of a presence than a place. And wherever the king is, is where heaven is which means right now Christ is in heaven, not because that's the place where he resides, but because where he is is where heaven is. Totally backwards. Now, in the, in the end of Jesus' life, I'm gonna connect the end of his story to your story. At the end of Jesus' life, uh, he's heading towards Jerusalem. And on the way, he hangs out with some, some shady characters, at least some people who, who others would consider as shady. And he hangs out with this tax collector named Zacchaeus. And, and Zacchaeus is one of those characters in the Bible that almost everyone dislikes. The Romans don't really trust him. The, the Jews really don't like him because they see him as a traitor. And Jesus walks up to him, and he changes his life. And he goes to his house, and people gather, and people are like, why is this Jewish rabbi hanging out with this person the rest of us clearly don't like? God would not do that sort of thing. But then he, he, he helps everyone understand it is really by faith, not by the person's actions that matter. And he said, look, today salvation has come even to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And this Greek word here, seek, is the same word that Paul uses to tell us to seek heaven with. Paul is saying all the passion, all, everything in our mind, all of our heart, all of our being should be set towards being in heaven with Christ. That is the passion with which Christ has come to the earth to seek and save you and I. With everything he has, he sought to see you and I. 
And while they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable. So Jesus often tells stories. And, and when Jesus tells a story, you're probably in trouble. That, that's kind of what you gotta get. It's a teaching moment. He's gathered people around. He has their attention. He knows their thoughts because he, he can do that. And he understands that what they think of him and who he is and what he is about to do is not quite right. And so he tells a story about himself. And the main character in this story is him, but he's talking about himself in the third person. So while they were listening, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And here's what he knew. The people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. And they were partially right. But the way that they wanted God to work was not the way that he wanted to work. They thought, Jesus, if you could come in here, if you could kick out the Romans, if you could establish your kingdom and save our land and restore your kingdom here, that would be great. But that's not what Jesus had in mind. So he begins to tell a story. He said, you know, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself kinged. Uh, have himself appointed as king, and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants, gave them 10 minas, and he says, put this money to work. He said, until I come back. And just this part of the story should give us pause, because Jesus, again, is not walking around here. He has gone somewhere else, and he has asked us to work until he has come back. He is basically asking, hey, what have you done and what will you do with everything that I have given you? And maybe this story is, even though it highlights money, it's more than that. Jesus is essentially saying, what have you done and what will you do with the time, the resources, maybe financially or otherwise, with the relationships, with your neighborhood, with your family life, with your parenting, with your marriage, with your church life, with your community involvement? What are you doing until I come back? Because I will come back. But some of his subjects hated him and they sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to be our king. And we think sometimes that this is a story for people long, long ago. But plenty of people say a version of this today. We don't want him to be our God. We don't want him to be our Messiah. We don't want him to meddle in our lives. We do not want him to lead us. We don't need his saving. We're fine. And we have to imagine ourselves in the story, not someone else. But he was made king, however, anyways, and he returned home. And now Jesus is, is basically entering into this picture. I will come back one day. He's foreshadowing what happens. And then in the story, he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. You know, Jesus is gonna check up. He's not gonna say, hey, you need to work for your salvation. That is not the point of the story. He's basically saying, hey, because I've given you a part of my kingdom, I expect you to have a return. You know, in this room, I see a lot of experience and wisdom and many, many years of loving Christ. And can I tell you, you are not finished yet. The Old Testament helps us all the time and understand that age is a number that God just looks past. He looks to the heart of people to say, will you still serve me with everything you have, with the time that you have left? Will you serve me until either I come back or you are no more here? Will you do that? And he wants people to do that because he understands that he is invested in us and he has asked us to work for him. So he replied, I tell you, everyone who has more will be given more, but as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And in Jesus' story, some of his servants did nothing. 
He gave them something. And they said, we were afraid of you, so we buried it in the sand. And others are like, I invested just like you asked. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. And those are probably the sweetest words you will ever hear in your life coming from God. Well done, good and faithful servant. But the people who did nothing, he says, that will be taken away from you too. I trusted you with a part of my kingdom and you did not invest it. You did not share it. You did not live up to what you have already attained. But remember, there are also a second group of people, enemies. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. You know, I've never heard this be anybody's memory verse. <laughs> no one ever uses this and goes, oh, this is what I memorized, Luke 19, 26. Bring those enemies in front of me and kill them in front of me. I don't see this on bumper stickers. I don't see this on birthday cards or Hallmark cards. People don't do that. Because to some degree, it's offensive. Why would Jesus say that? I thought he was the guy who was like surfer Jesus. He does the fingers, he's got the big heart. All he does is love people. And here he is going, someday my enemies will be finished. I will not allow them in my kingdom. I will not allow them to ruin what I have built. And after this, <clears throat> Jesus went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. So why the story? I mean, he just, he just said that this guy and his house, the salvation to come to this house, he pauses to tell this really weird story about himself going off or someone else going off to be king. And he talks about the death of his enemies and also the rewarding of the people who, who did what he had to say. Why the story? Because as he's going up to Jerusalem, he's going up as king. You know, a lot of times in Jesus' ministry, he told people, don't tell people who I am. Don't, don't let them know yet, it's not my time yet. And then finally, when he goes up to Jerusalem, it's time. And he accepts, he accepts that people call him king. In fact, this is what they said. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord and Jesus does not refute them. In fact, he says, if, if all these people would be quiet, the stones themselves would praise me. He does not quiet them. He finally accepts publicly that he is their king. And even the people who were shouting this not only had the earth and where they were living in mind, but they also had heaven in mind because they also said this, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. <clears throat> and Jesus is just, he's a genius. He, he planned everything out. <clears throat> the day he rides into Jerusalem is Lamb Selection Day. It's the day that all of Jerusalem would have picked a sacrificial lamb to commemorate their ancestors, to commemorate that God had saved them. And every year they would do this over and over. And millions of people would flood into this city and they would choose their lamb and they would keep it safe until somewhere around Thursday night. But Jesus, he picks them. You know, at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, his cousin, John, sees him walking and he says, there is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew before anybody else did. And Jesus comes in on Lamb Selection Sunday and the Lamb chooses the people. He comes in as a king. And this is so, so pivotal for us to understand and maybe the reason we should desire to follow him. You know, at this point, it's very clear from Jesus' teaching, he has authority. He has the authority to take life. But as he walks in, he has the humility to serve. He has the authority and the power to say that this is my kingdom and all the earth in it is mine. 
but he also has the humility and the desire to say that I will give my life for you. He can take anybody's life at any point, but he decides to give his own. He could ask everyone on the face of the planet to bow and kneel immediately because it is his right as king, and instead he would kneel to death. And he would say, Father, not my will but yours. I will gladly die, and I will gladly serve my people. You know, the thing sometimes maybe we forget that Augustine maybe says the best is that Jesus endured death as a lamb, but he devoured it as a lion. Death thought it had win, Satan had thought it had win, but Jesus throws one punch and it's over. All the sacrifices from then on were done. They may have done them, they may have gone through the motions, but one sacrifice by the king was enough. That yearly, everything that they did was unnecessary because God had made the perfect sacrifice. And his presence is so helpful to understand. If we go back to what Alexander the Great said, because he, he understood the power and presence of a king and the influence that a king had. He said, you know, I'm not afraid of an army of lions led by a sheep, but I am absolutely afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion. I don't know about you, but sheep are dumb. They are. And guess what we're called? Sheep. It's a little bit insulting, a little bit insulting. But I don't know about you, but... I feel unequipped, I feel unworthy, I feel clumsy and arrogant. I feel like if God asked me to work for him, I'm like, is there someone behind me that you're looking at? Because it's definitely not me. But this is why I love this quote, because our God is both the lion and the lamb, and he asks you and I to work for him. And he models with, for us what it's like to serve the king who ultimately would serve everybody. Now here's the question I wanna to get to, maybe some part of our purposes today. Because Jesus kept saying that he'll come back. Remember in his story, he goes off to be king and someday he comes back. This is a question that maybe should haunt us a little bit. You know, would you be ready today if Jesus came back? If he came back today, would you be ready? And here's, here's a helpful, some helpful ways to help you think about this. I haven't told the person I loved about Christ yet. I'm not ready. There are things in my life I have not turned my back on. There are habits and parts of my heart that I have not given over to Christ fully. There are things I am still ashamed of because I haven't fully accepted his grace. Somehow I always think that I have to work for his love over and over again. Would you be ready today if Jesus comes back? Because he will come back. And he absolutely has the authority to command us here and now. And he absolutely has the authority over life and death. Can you say with certainty that you would be ready? And my hope for you is that you could say yes. But not yes in a sense that says, I'm finished working for him. Because Jesus wants us to make sure that until he comes back, that we serve the true king. The apostle Paul knew this. Even though the early Christians had coins with the faces of Caesars and their leaders around them, he always wanted them to make sure that they never forgot who the true king was. And if you go to the end of your Bible, the last chapter, the last page, Jesus tells us that he's coming back. 
He says, look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done, which is a bit scary. He does not say you get to be in my kingdom based on what you have done. He says, I will judge you based on how you have worked for me while I am gone. I have given you skills and resources and time and hope, and I have taken care of death so you never have to worry about that. I have taken all of your shame. There is nothing in life you have to worry about. I have taken care of all of it. So will you, will you, will you work for me? Will you glorify me with your life and your time and your finances? Will you glorify me until I come back? Because I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And then he gives us two interesting things here. He says, blessed are those who wash their robes. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and go through the gates into the city. The end of the Bible has an invitation and a warning. And this is the invitation, blessed are you that you have the right to the tree of life and go into my city, go into the kingdom of God and live eternally with me. This is the invitation. But there's also a warning because outside are the dogs and those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolater, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. All of those people who refuse to kneel to the king will not be in his kingdom. Maybe to summarize it, we could say this. The invitation is we should be ready at all times for the king's return and look forward to the rewards he has for us if we live for him. That our minds and our hearts and everything else is set on being with God in heaven and we wanna hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, not you're in, good job. If we think of heaven as just a place, we will miss out because we should wanna be with him We should want to work for him in the meantime. We should be incredibly grateful to him and look forward to the rewards he has. But then also that there is a warning. If we live our lives opposed to God now, then we'll forever live outside of his kingdom. You know, I was an atheist for about 21 years and I thought when I became a Christian that I was here. And it was a challenge. Maybe the reason I tell you that is because there is always hope. I was an enemy of God, I was opposed to him, I sat in the seats just like you did and waited for the pastor to stop speaking so I could tell him everything he said wrong. Please don't do that, I'm so sensitive, please don't do that. If we live our lives opposed to God now, then we'll be forever outside his kingdom. If you do not want to live for God now, why would you wanna live with him forever? It doesn't make sense. So you have a job to do. You know, on earth right now, we should seek to live on earth as if we are in heaven. That is our job. But then we have something incredible to look forward to, incredible. You know, heaven is a place, but it's more than that. Heaven is the presence of God that we should long for more than anything else. And someday you will be changed. You will look different, you will act different, and you will have no sin in your life, and it will be the incredible life that you've always wanted to live. And this is what you have to look forward to that hopefully should fuel your life to glorify God in everything that you do. In heaven, the place you were made for, the person you were meant to be, and God's presence that you long for will finally all be together. This is what you have to look forward to. So my encouragement to you is to live for the king in everything that you do in any way that you can. 
because someday he will come back. And I hope you will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant.